0: Hi, my name's Nick, and thanks for downloading this 3CR podcast. The following is an episode of the show en Psychedelia. If you want more information on the show, head along to the 3CR program pages and click to en Psychedelia. You can also find our website, org or find us on Facebook or Twitter. Enjoy the show. This is Psychedelia. Uh The... Um uh, Freedom of Species will be back next Sunday from uh 1 p.m. on 3CR Community Radio 855 a.m. 3cr.org.au and on digital uh, uh if if this is a um a uh program about uh, about the intersection of drugs and society and all the places where it intersects. And we do focus on a philosophy of harm reduction, which refers to policies, programs and practices that aim to primarily reduce the adverse health, social and economic consequences of the use of legal and illegal psychoactive drugs without necessarily reducing drug consumption. Um, But if you do feel you have a uh, problem with substance abuse, there is help out there and you should uh, go and seek that. Direct Line is a telephone counselling service available any time of the day or night, and their phone number is one 236 Ash has uh, joined me again in the studio now. Ash is a uh, regular in Psychedelia contributor, and uh, we have some uh, some news for the week. Ash, what have you got for us?
1: Okay, so one thing that happened in the last week there was a bit of a write up of uh, the Australian, the Royal Australian Navy's operations. Last Friday, they seized 139 grams of heroin as part of Operation Manitou off the east coast of Africa. This is an ongoing operation with the Australian Navy, and in the last two years, they've seized $2.3 billion worth of drugs. Off the coast of Africa? Yeah, I'm not really sure how that works. I guess that's part of our global contribution to the, the drug war. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, on
0: uh, Tuesday the 28th of July, uh, there is a seminar being put on by Harm Reduction Victoria, which focuses on novel psychoactive substances, which is the uh, all, pretty much all drugs that have uh, come onto, uh, into the uh, drug scene over the past 10 years or so. Uh, tickets uh, are available at hrvic.org.au, and there's a bit more information there. There's um, a few speakers, and it should be a good event. Tuesday the 28th of July
1: Okay And uh, from Queensland this week We had Nationals MP George Christensen uh, Providing some advice to the ICE inquiry Oh yes Uh, And he wants them to consider corporal punishment Along the lines of the Singapore model
0: Right, which has been um, uh, defined as uh, human torture <laughs> um, I <laughs> believe. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, the UN. <laughs> yeah, he essentially
1: wants the uh, producers and and large scale distributors to be caned along the lines of the Singapore uh, model. And uh, you know, in defending his position, he claims to be speaking for members of his community, which I have <laughs> no doubt he is. But, um... I'm
0: sure he's got a very select few members of his community that he's speaking for. Um, there was a Gizmodo story this week, uh, and you can find, by the way, information on more information on all of these stories on the Facebook account, which is facebook.com forward slash uh, So there was a Gizmodo story this week, which was reporting on a research article, which has been published, and it's looking into the use of honeybees and other insects um, as drug sniffer insects to replace drug sniffer dogs. Uh, you can check out yeah. more information on that article online. This,
1: this is partly in response to the difficulties that the US are having now with sniffer dogs as cannabis has become legal in different forms throughout many states there. It's quite expensive to retrain their dogs and, and I think constitutionally they're now having trouble justifying searches based on a positive detection with the sniffer dogs it could because be. it could be for a legal substance. Yep, yep. So that's one of the angles they're taking to <laughs> deal with that. Get honeybees involved. And um, <laughs> it was made a bit of a splash in a, in a lot of the press this week up in the Riverina district around Wagga Wagga. It was uh, reported that uh, children as young as primary school age were being used by drug dealers to screen... The potential buyers and helping to move drugs from person to person, I guess. Right. Um, there were 46 dealers nabbed in an operation in Wagga Wagga, um, which isn't too surprising to me. I know quite a few people up in that region and they've been quite concerned about the state of affairs up there for a while. I uh, have some friends right near Narendra, which is also at the heart of, of some of the problems up there. And uh, when they contact people in Melbourne, To to come up, they generally say could you please bring me some higher quality drugs because the only thing we can get in this region is crappy weed and dirty meth (laughs) Um, The the
0: market issues um, can can affect the way that people take drugs. I don't think that's something that's often uh, talked about but it is something that we cover here on In Psychedelia.
1: Yeah, I actually uh, had some interaction with the police in that area when I was passing through as part of a revegetation project I was involved in. I got pulled over because I was driving a van that said hippie down the side with oh, some right. flowers. <laughs> so I guess I was a cop magnet. And um, I had a good chat with the, the officer that pulled me over. And, um, yeah, he confirmed the two biggest problems in that area, as he could see them, were ice and actually OxyContin. So uh, which is
0: a prescription opiate... Um That's
1: right. Yeah, I think uh, there's some pensioners out there in Australia right now selling some of their pain medication to help meet the bills.
0: Right, right. And I imagine it would be fairly popular as opiates tend to be. Uh, There's also a uh, story that Green Flower Media have uh, have posted up, um, also available on our Facebook uh, page, Um, and it's a it's a video just showing some of the problems associated with uh, when cannabis is legalized in places like in the US. Then the police still need to make sure that people aren't impaired on the road. However, testing people for THC blood content levels doesn't necessarily correlate with impairment. And this is what they explore uh, in that video, uh, which Greenflower Media posted up. Um, and it's, it's going to be a very interesting topic as, um, as cannabis legalisation moves across uh, across the world because obviously we still don't want people who are impaired operating motor vehicles. But how do you measure that? And it's, it's more difficult than with blood alcohol content.
1: It's certainly a difficult policy area to uh, to police that one. Um, early this week, on Monday, there was uh, uh, so a report from um, a- across a lot of the press. Uh, former Victorian of the Year Professor David Pennington and Melbourne pharmacist Joshua Donnelly had an article published in the Journal of Law and Medicine calling for a regulated legal... Uh, distribution model for mdma
0: which is ecstasy molly is the latest uh latest name um we actually caught up with uh david pennington and we'll be hearing from him later in the show we're also going to hear from uh steph who is the coordinator of dancewise and has recently been in lisbon in portugal uh at a at a conference there and also seeing how decriminalization uh works there and and that's pretty much going to uh Kind of fill up the show for us this afternoon. I, I, I think uh, this is in Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio. Uh, my name is Nick Wallace, and Ash, thanks for um, the news updates today. Thanks, Nick. And this is Spoonbill. How it goes on 3CR. how
2: it goes.
0: 3CR Community Radio, 855am, streaming live on 3cr.org.au and on digital two. This is In Psychedelia. My name's Nick Wallace, and I'm sitting here with... Uh uh, Stephanie Tznidis, I'm sorry, I can never pronounce your last
3: name. That's right? fine, that's close enough.
0: <laughs> who is the coordinator of the DanceWise program, a uh, peer education harm reduction program that mm-hmm. operates uh, across Victoria. And Steph, uh, you've just returned uh, from Portugal. Can you tell us why you're over in Portugal? Yeah,
3: sure. Uh, well, there was an abstract submitted from DanceWise uh, to Club Health Lisbon. Now, that is a conference that focuses on nightlife, substance use, and related health issues. Uh, and the abstract got accepted. So I was presenting there and meeting with um, leaders in that field. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. It and what great.
0: was the uh, abstract about? What did you present on at the conference?
3: Um, so the focus was on the DanceWise program. Um, its initiatives and looking at the kinds of um, drug use trends that are specific to our um, peer group, and looking at some of the issues that need to be addressed within within the sector. So that with the examples that I gave in my talk looked at drug checking because there is demand for drug-checking services. So certain. that that would be um, someone, like a peer, approaching our service and wanting to be able to test uh, what their drugs are, essentially.
0: Because a lot of drugs aren't what somebody says they are. Yeah. So somebody might sell something as one thing and it's actually another thing, which can lead to lead to harms obviously because
3: absolutely and so there were similar programs from around the world um, where they do have their full government support um, to provide drug checking services and so there's yeah a wealth of empirical evidence out there that's that strongly supports drug checking or what's sometimes known as pill testing um, that it that this service is a uh, a harm reduction tool and in the absence of a regulated system uh, where illicit substances are obtained from a black market source essentially only uh, yeah it's an essential harm reduction tool so that was one of the themes that came up in the um, abstract talk uh, and another one was um, that Dancewise gets approached regularly by our peers who want information about uh, police powers. So in particular, they want information about their rights if they were stopped and searched by What's known as pad operations, passive alert detection, or um, casually known as sniffer dogs. So that's one. That's one area regarding police powers that um, our network they they keen for information about. Mm-hmm. Um, and other areas include uh, random roadside um, drug, drug tests. tests. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's what the the talk looked at. Yep. Um, yeah.
0: What, and what sorts of um, other other talks were there at this conference in Portugal?
3: Okay, uh, so.
0: Or what's a, what was a highlight I, the should, highlight? I should ask?
3: Okay, the first uh, session made up of keynote speakers uh, included. Well, melbourne's own monica barrett so she was looking at
0: also chatting to on the program yes oh, great, great, great. <laughs>
3: um now she was looking at um drugs and kind of social networks like online networks so i'll leave it to her the expert to discuss that but that was a wonderful um talk um another highlight for me was hearing adam winton is it winton i w- believe winstock winstock thank you um and he is the, I think he's the executive for the
0: Global Drug 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 Survey, yeah,
3: Yeah. and so that will be published, the 2015 findings will be published later in the year, and uh, we got a sneak peek um, in his keynote presentation at what kind of findings there are there, because it's just a great methodology. Um, and he doesn't buy into the fear Can I swear on your radio station? Yeah, you can... You the can fear-mongering it. bullshit that tends to dominate um, discussions about drug use. Um, so, yeah, his talk was fantastic. Um, and then there were parallel sessions throughout the conference where there were different focuses. So I tended to go to the ones that were, you know, simple similar programs similar themes Uh, i went to one on drug checking and it was just you know a panel of 10 um peer educators from around the world cataloging the kinds of um challenges but also like sources of support that they get and it varies around the world so in australia they're Politicians, uh, the government tends to be risk adverse, um, and there tends like Australia, like we have everything seems to be enforcement led. Mm. Uh, One thing that I did criticize was, you know, in Australia we have our official drug strategy, and it's been our drug strategy since 1985. It's harm minimization. Mm. This policy model is just misunderstood <laughs> a lot
0: so what 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 is um, harm minimization because there's a lot of different words that get thrown around yeah. in, the, uh, in drug policy and harm minimization different to harm reduction
3: absolutely harm reduction is one component of harm minimization so if you have a harm minimization policy model you are um, It's made up of supply reduction efforts, harm reduction efforts, and demand reduction efforts. Now, supply reduction, that is essentially enforcement-led initiatives. Mm -hmm. So it's supply reduction. It's not a case of targeting individual users. Um, So this is um, a
0: market-based thing. They're trying to disrupt the market, essentially.
3: Disrupt the market, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. So, so that's supply reduction. Demand reduction, uh, that is like the treatment sector and maybe public health campaigns trying to discourage uptake and encourage cessation, right? So that's health professionals. Would
0: that perhaps include the uh, recent um, multi-million dollar anti-ice ad campaign and other such um, uh, uh, fear-based campaigns that try and scare people into not trying drugs?
3: Some people would definitely argue that. And you could say, yes, it is a demand-reduction campaign, but it's, I think, a a very ineffective one. Many treatment professionals, and there is a lot of evidence to back this up, would say that... um, You need a target, a health promotion message needs to be targeted in order to be effective Mm. and avoid uh, creating additional harm. Mm. So if you're just doing a blanket campaign targeted at everyone, even though methamphetamine use is something that um, relates to 2% of Australia's entire population, that. You know, in regards to smoking specifically, um, if you if you um, show someone um, a campaign that um, references smoking, that can actually have the reverse effect so of people want to smoke. People yeah. want to <laughs> smoke, so so I mean, all the
0: people who don't smoke already go, oh, yeah, no smoking, that's great, yeah. and then the smokers go. Jeez, that no smoking ad really makes me want to have a cigarette. cigarette.
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, so I mean, I think that that campaign, the intention is to discourage ice use. Mm. Uh, I think the actual effect is it encourages the stigmatization of people who um, use this drug, and the risk there is people are less likely to disclose their use even when they're experiencing some issues so they're less likely to access essential health services so the potential for harm increases also i'm saying it's an ineffective campaign it's it's not doing the opposite to demand reduction mm. it's actually promoting the use even though that's the opposite intention
0: Yes, yep, yep, I see what you mean, and there is a lot of research about these sorts of campaigns showing their ineffectiveness, but money keeps getting thrown at them. It seems like they're politically palatable, perhaps.
3: Yeah, I think I saw an internet meme recently, and it was something along the lines of $20 million given to the budget for campaigns to... prevent ice use or raise awareness about ice use, I think mm. it said. And then eight million dollars cut from the budget for treatment centres for people who use the methamphetamine. So I mean we're not really investing uh, in the sectors that produce Results. positive outcomes. <laughs> like that is demand reduction and harm reduction. And we're yeah. Yeah.
0: This is three crorgau eight five five AM and on digital. This is uh, In Psychedelia. My name's Nick Wallace and I'm here with DanceWise coordinator Steph who was recently in Portugal for a nightlife harm reduction conference uh, called Club Health. Um, but while you were there, um, you, you were also uh, writing a blog about your experience there um, and, and you were focusing on Portugal's decriminalisation policy, which has been uh, in operation since 2001, I believe.
3: Yeah. yeah. Uh, it wasn't necessarily the focus of my blog. Um, I started it last year. And uh, I, I just. Following the international AIDS conference, actually that was in Melbourne in July last year, um, I met a few people from um, drug user activists and harm reduction organisations in the UK and Europe, and I was over there last August and September. So I did site visits, um, I did some volunteer work, and yeah, I documented these experiences and my observations um, on the blog. It's harm reduction sass. S-A-S-S uh, dot wordpress.com And um, we'll,
0: we'll put a link for that on 3cr.org.au slash psychedelia as well if you didn't catch that URL.
3: Cool, thank you. And uh, this year when I returned uh, over to that part of the world I wanted to pick it up again and um, I was referred to the local drug user organisation which is connected to uh, community um, non-government a community development organisation. And, uh, yeah, so they were actually based in Porto, not Lisbon. So I visited um, Porto as well. And, and how, uh, con-
0: how far is that from, from Lisbon? I don't know my Portuguese geography too well. Uh, is, it, is it a one, bit of a
3: travel? One short... Um, if you can ever call an Orion Air flight short, um, one short flight to um, Porto. Okay. So flight. like a
0: Melbourne to Sydney sort of distance? Yeah, yeah. Less. Okay. less.
4: Less,
3: okay. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I went and visited um, the executive officer of uh, an organisation called, and please forgive my pronunciation, but APV, uh, A P des and they do a lot of incredible work and um, one of the areas that they look at is harm reduction They do um, outreach with uh, peer educators, and uh, since 2007, they've actually facilitated um, some of these peer educators so that they're empowered and they were able to establish their own drug user organization. So um, that's an advocacy organization, um, and they do you know they advocate for various health promotion um, initiatives that. Well, yeah, improve the lives of people who use drugs. Mm. So, yeah, And so, I met with um, two individuals there, and I wrote on on that. And um, I was actually quite surprised because uh, after implementing decriminalisation as their model um, in Portugal in two thousand and one, you know, the benefits there were many. Mm. Um, it was a great improvement. Um, so, I'm not I'm not criticising decriminalization as um as an overall uh, strategy yeah no i'm just saying it was a step in the right direction Mm -hmm. um a lot of benefits flowed from that um policy shift um there's actually still a few gaps and i mean that will always be the way with any policy model you have got to continually work at it um one of the things that i was quite surprised by was uh they don't actually have naloxone there's no and, and
0: naloxone. Um, what does naloxone,
3: nal- naloxone is uh, an opiate antagonist. Uh, there's no dependency potential with it. Uh, there's no. There's no potential harm. Essentially, all naloxone does is viciously save lives. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so
0: an opiate antagonist, as opposed to an opiate agonist. So, an opiate agonist would be something heroin. like heroin. Yeah. And an antagonist does the opposite. So it reverses yeah. the effect of yeah. the opiate. Absolutely. Taking people out of um, a position where they might be overdosing.
3: Yeah, yeah. And so with a um, an opiate overdose, um, the risk is that uh, someone will uh, experience respiratory arrest and just stop breathing. Um, it doesn't necessarily affect the heart, but um, with naloxone, you can yeah block uh, these these opiate receptors so that the effects are temporarily. Um, Ended, and then a person can just start breathing again. And so, this, yeah. this
0: is something that is available in Australia, even though we don't have decriminalisation. Yeah, correct?
3: it's now naloxone has been available since the second half of 2013 in Australia, right. um, and uh, harm reduction Victoria has been training um, peers and uh, health professionals. Uh, so that they uh so that they feel equipped to be able to respond to an opiate overdose with naloxone effectively um and there's there's things that need to be ironed out with that um, model too but it is available here um and it's available in other parts of the world for example it's been available over the counter um since 1987 in italy there's no there's no risk uh, involved with naloxone um I'm,
0: I'm guessing it doesn't make people high because it does at, the opposite. It,
3: it absolutely, yeah. So. Like yeah. there's there's no dependency potential there mm. at all. Um, so it's not available in Portugal. Um, there didn't seem to be like a political opposition uh, to its introduction at all, but it came down to dollar signs. Like it right. was a, a money issue. Um, but I, I was. Um, I was told that it's highly likely that it will be introduced in Portugal within the next two years, so fingers crossed for them, because that would be great. That's good news. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of other things that um, I was interested to learn through the interviews I did for my blog. Um, in Portugal, when they created the uh, policy model, uh, the decriminalisation model, it had um, a provision which... Did allow for consumption rooms Uh, so this is safe consumption spaces so that may be a safe injecting space or a safe smoking space the Mm -hmm. whole point of creating spaces like this especially for people who may be experiencing homelessness is that they um, have a safe environment and contact with health professionals who can uh, facilitate what might be described as brief interventions that Mm -hmm. you're giving people harm reduction education making them aware of services that they may uh, choose to use later on. Um, yeah, so these spaces, um, there was a provision to allow um, such spaces to be created in Portugal, but it just hasn't happened. So that's that kind of gap between policy and practice, right, where yeah. the law says, yes, we can do this, but there's resistance, and uh, that can be from just like social media. Uh, just like, just that kind of like, those public influences yeah.
0: and popular influences. It's a in the sand. Yeah. I'm
3: just going to say no, even though there's no reason there's for it. Still, kind that of
0: approach political troubles. Yes, and yeah. if you um, if you want to uh, read more about uh, Steph's adventures, it was harmreductionsass.wordpress.com. Yeah, and we'll put a link uh, up for that on 3cr.org.au. Slash in psychedelia. Uh, my name's Nick. I've been speaking with Steph, uh, coordinator of DanceWise and recent uh, attendee and presenter at the Club Health Conference in Lisbon, Portugal. Steph, thanks for joining me on the program today.
2: Thanks, Nick.
5: This is an episode of In a Perfect World. This is my podcast I do and my name is Rak Razam. I'm an experiential journalist, a shamanic facilitator, and your guide into the invisible
4: worlds of the spirit. I hope you enjoyed this episode. So, I kind of challenged people. I put out a podcast like the day before the fated date that I called Terrence McKenna's Failed Prophecy for 2012. And when I put that out, even right then, I had some people immediately write me emails like, well, it's not the day yet, so you don't know what's going to happen. And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that this is not going to happen because I don't think that this is reality. This is a form of projection. It's a form of storytelling. And, you know, when you take on a cultural icon, someone who's really beloved like that, it's, it's really easy to upset people around these kinds of things. But I think that if we want to be honest with ourselves... And I do feel that working with entheogens is a process in learning to be honest with ourselves if we're really going to use them as tools for genuine self-discovery and not just more ego-generated narrative, which is very easy to do. That You know, entheogens are not some magic truth pill that's just going to make you face reality, that you always have a choice to engage in your projections and in your ego generated narratives that you're creating, or you can do the really hard work of challenging yourself and overcoming those projections. And it's not easy. Um, and, and it's easy to upset people when you do try and point out some of these things. And I mentioned that this is, this is the difference between the mental realization of the non-dual nature of reality. And then what I see as a deeper level is the actual physical energetic embodiment of that reality. And that's what these symmetrical movements are a reflection of. They're an actual embodiment of that infinite well of energy not just the mental recognition that oh wait, wow wait, we really saying, are all one you, is,
5: as, well, as well as an embodiment do you think they're actually a language i was talking to you before we had the interview about uh, another consciousness comrade diana slattery who has a book coming out in january 2015 called xenolinguistics psychedelics and language and she's had experiences in similar realms and being danced as well uh when it seems like you know it, it, again if they're autonomous entities or just another chamber of ourselves we're still being communicated we're not just being moved or it's random do you think there's some intelligence or some communication or some linguistical like our bodies become the letters in a cosmic word you know it's like we're being translinguisticized through our bodies
4: yeah i would just urge people to not put too much meaning on it Look, like, for example you know when i work with people with entheogens and other people observe my actions, that they see these mudras that my hands are going into. And then I'm also, I tend to be very vocal where I purr and I growl and I click and I whistle and I tone and I throat sing and all this stuff comes out. And it's very common for people to say, well, well, what did that mean when your hands went into that position? And then you made that noise That, that they're kind of looking for a linguistic translation. And my answer is always, Look, I'm just embodying and expressing the energy that I feel in the moment and for me personally it doesn't have any particular meaning other than, well, the energy feels this way, and so I'm expressing it that way. So what I what I try to avoid is pinning it down to something in particular and it becomes it's kind of like it's kind of like asking, Well, what does jazz mean? You're like, what? What does it mean when the horn went off on this riff, and then the drums went off on this trip And and for the jazz missions it's like, hey man, that's just how we were feeling it in the moment. And for me, that's what it's like. Is that this is just how the energy is expressing itself in the moment? And you know, it tends, you know, that, that there are maybe some categories there where if the energy is really choppy and if there's Um, something that's really stuck that that's where I tend to get into toning more that seems to push and break the calcification a bit more so there might be certain levels of interpretation that are going on there but in general it's something that I personally try and stay away from and just describe it as this is just how the energy is expressing itself in the moment and my job is to embody it fully without questioning it, without thinking about it, without trying to control it, without trying to understand the meaning of it and just allow it to be in that state in its purest form. So I really go for sort of the the jazz approach in in a sense. It's just the pure spontaneity of the moment.
5: So if you enjoyed this uh, little snippet from uh, the full broadcast of In A Perfect World, these interviews usually go for about a whole hour or more with some of the leading minds of the consciousness community, the shamanic community, and the new paradigm movers and shakers. You can find uh, all this and more at rakrazam.com. That's www.rakrazam.com. And uh, join the movement, join this uh, this collective blossoming of consciousness, and enjoy. Aloha. It
0: was a small segment from an interview that uh, Rak did with Martin Ball, uh, PhD, um, about a book that he wrote, uh, Tracing Entheogens, um, which is uh, God Manifest. There's another word for psychedelic, um, which is another word for a certain class of psychoactive drugs. Uh, and if you want to listen to that full hour and a half long interview, au is the place to go. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au and do get in touch with us. Uh, head to 3CR website, 3cr.org.au and jump onto the Encyclopedia program page. Uh, there's links there to our website, Facebook and Twitter and you can uh, send us an email or get in contact with us on social media. Uh, we do value your contributions, whether it's a story that you've got to tell or uh, one you've heard. Uh, some poetry you've got to share or music you'd like to send in or perhaps you've got some uh, uh, suggestions on some topics that we should be following on this program. 3cr.org.au and follow uh Follow along to the In Psychedelia program page uh, for more links and information. We're going to be uh, chatting with uh, Professor David Pennington in Just a Tick on 3CR. 3CR Community Radio, 855am, streaming live on 3cr.org.au and on digital as well. It's Nick Wallace here uh, on In Psychedelia, your host for this afternoon and Right now I'm down at the uh, University of Melbourne, standing here looking at a series of uh, terrace houses, two-storey terrace houses. Uh, but they've uh, they've been um, consumed by the modern architecture of Melbourne University with this metal and glass monstrosity uh, sort of coming out the back of these buildings and off the top of them. We'll, we'll head inside. Inside the Terrace Houses now with Professor David Pennington, 2014 Victorian of the Year and uh, far too many previous positions to mention. Uh, David has advocated for sensible drug policy for decades, uh, since 1997 uh, actually, and has served on drug advisory councils for the Victorian Government. Welcome, David, to the show. It's a pleasure to chat with you. Uh, So this week uh, people will have uh, possibly noticed a story in the age uh, on a report that was published in the Journal of Law and Medicine by uh, Josh Donnelly, who's a pharmacist, uh, calling for MDMA, which is also known as ecstasy or molly, to be regulated. Uh, it's received some trivial attention in the mainstream press. There was a small age article and some other, um, uh, some other uh, outlets have published it too. And uh, Josh focuses a lot in his piece on a 2012 proposal from you. Can you tell us a bit about what that uh, proposal was all about?
2: Well, that was a a meeting of Australia 21 looking at the whole issue of uh, uh, drug prohibition and the fact that the war on drugs has manifestly failed uh, Mm. since uh, launched by uh, uh, the American president in 1971, uh, Nixon. Yes. Uh, And uh, I think it's an issue in which there needs to be public comment and public debate in that the uh, prohibition manifestly has not succeeded for, for 50 years and and it, it uh, is associated with crime and criminality and and all sorts of problems and and the use of the drugs which uh, people take uh, really is not properly managed and in my view all along it's, it's a public health problem that ought to be handled as such rather than dealing with it as a, an issue of criminality uh, which uh, stops there being sensible discussion uh, of a kind that will even protect the users from uh, uh, unwise use and, and uh, various significant consequences. For a number of them. So we do need to have debates about this and I put to that meeting the proposition that if in fact we regulated the distribution of certain widely used drugs uh, which carry with them relatively little risk because they are in fact not uh, very uh, addictive Compared with tobacco or alcohol, which society accepts, mm-hmm. uh, and and if they were then uh, regulated by government control rather than leaving them in the hands of the uh, illicit drug peddlers, then I think we would get very better, very much better outcomes. And the two widely used ones in Australia, which are in this category of having little risk of addiction and, and uh, uh, can be much better managed as a public health issue, uh, are cannabis and MDMA, Which, which are ecstasy.
0: Australia's two favourite uh, illicit drugs. That's say. right,
2: most widely used.
0: So this was part of the Australia 21 process and they're a, uh, a group of um, experts from across all sorts of different fields, a multidisciplinary group, um, and they, they created a report. So was this part of that... Um, can't remember the name of, of of the report that was produced after that, but was that going into?
2: Well, there was there was a nationally released report, report, two two reports on on the on the drug issues so far, and there's consideration of a possible further further report later this year. Uh, but those those reports included people who were former senior police officers from the federal police and people with. Experience in the law courts and so on, pointing out the, the folly of trying to arrest our way out of the drug problems
0: and has it been um, received fairly well? Have you had conversations with, uh, with with the people that really need to change their mind and make a, uh, uh, and make a decision to, to change the way that this regulatory path is going is it Has it been received well or
2: unfortunately, politicians just see this as a dangerous thing to get into politically because people will just label them by Australians who many of them have conservative mindsets regardless of their politics uh, and will just say, oh well, then the, the government are not looking after us and therefore it seems a law and order issue rather than a, a social problem that needs to be dealt with on, on a public health basis. And uh, in fact, uh, It's only very recently that we've had some political leadership in this state and New South Wales in respect of uh, medicinal cannabis. Mm. And uh, uh, the Victorian Premier, while he was leader of the opposition, I think quite bravely announced that if he was elected at the end of last year, he would take steps to introduce medicinal cannabis in Victoria, And, and likewise the New South Wales Premier has made strong moves to, to try and tr- introduce it to new south Wales, but again there 's opposition that comes from the medical profession and many other groups who see this as uh, something that uh, they they regard as dangerous and uh, uh, so we, we have to try and get these issues out into public debate and and the previous reports came and went, and various people condemned them and and so on and and uh, just because of the, the belief that it's all an emotional thing drugs are evil because they're associated with crime mm. well they're associated with the crime because they're illicit
0: <laughs> because they're illegal yeah exactly that's right.
2: and, and that's why there's crime and corruption associated with them and the murders and so on from the fights between the various drug gangs and, and all of that mm. just goes on and on mm. but people don't see that as some something which is a consequence of of the prohibition.
0: And that, and that could really be seen as um, more of a uh, econo- economic problem that you, you can see when markets fail but there's still this huge demand um, for, for a product which there are for, uh, for certain um, illicit substances. There's a lot of money in that and, and people want to get involved but we don't have the same protections that other markets have where you've got dispute resolution, where people don't have to kill each other to get their debts paid back.
2: So and monitoring of the quality of the drugs and in fact the illicit drugs are quite dangerous in, in a number of respects and, mm. and if we had regulated drugs uh, available as we have for pharmaceutical purposes then it would be much safer.
0: This is 3CR 855 AM. My name's Nick Wallace and you're listening to In Psychedelia. We're currently chatting with Professor David Pennington. So what, what sort of um, regulatory system uh, do you envision if, if Let's let's dream for a little bit here about uh, our our ideal system. What would you? uh, How would regulation work for something like MDMA? How would it be sold? How would it be manufactured? Um, And how would we? uh, How would society um, avert any of the as many harms as possible that are associated with
2: uh, with MDMA? Well, first of all, there are not a great number of harms associated with MDMA as long as it's used wisely and as long as it's pure MDMA rather than something that has all sorts of other ingredients put into it that uh, can produce serious untoward effects. But MDMA itself, when uh, dealt with as a pure pharmaceutical, uh, has relatively few side effects as long as it's taken in, in reasonable dose. But any drug, if taken in excessive dose, can produce serious side effects and that's true of MDMA as it is of other things. So it's something that could easily be manufactured under safe conditions, could be uh, made available through a pharmacy uh, setting as long as there is a control in, in terms of the quantity given and in my view that would entail registering the users so that that they would go to a single outlet and and uh, would be given a modest dose and uh, uh, there would be the capacity to keep an eye on things if they get into difficulties from excessive use.
0: So we have um, some examples in the world already of regulatory systems in place, not for MDMA but for cannabis and I know in uh, Uruguay, um, Users of cannabis have to register with a uh, national uh, database. What What are the advantages of registering users um, if if they were to um, get MDMA from a pharmacy?
2: Well, Uruguay has really made these changes very, very recently, and they're still working through. Uh, They've had a general election since they were introduced, and and the new government is is making changes. But it's just when you decriminalize drugs which are widely used there is the potential for misuse and, and for things to get off the rails therefore there's a need for caution uh, it's been decriminalized in Colorado and the United States but without that degree of, of caution and there, there is a, a lot of trouble with, with people taking excessive amounts and appearing in hospital emergency rooms and things of that kind Washington state is also decriminalised but is regulating it much more carefully and it's only available through through certain outlets where there's control of the dose and, and, and quantity provided and, and uh, wise advice about the dangers of excessive use and so on so some places are doing it sensibly others uh, haven't thought through the whole thing because
0: got a more laissez-faire, free-market sort of
2: approach. That's right. Just very American. <laughs> yeah, but it, it it was also because there was a lot of public demand for decriminalisation, and the state administration was caught by a referendum that, that just demanded that it happened, mm. and and they didn't then spend long enough thinking through the uh, the, the best ways to, to handle it. I imagine sure.
0: there's a lot of lessons that can be learned from the um, uh, from the current psychoactive markets that we already have in operation, and the reeling back and, and uh, of things like uh, advertising for tobacco products. Um, and I, I suspect we're probably going to see the same for alcohol products. So uh, a lot of those lessons have, um, have have been learned. And the thing that we've we've learned, I think, is that um, with a psychoactive market, you you don't really need to go and, and blanket advertise these things because that increases the harms without um, without really properly informing people. Quite
2: right, quite right. And, and advertising is one of the things which has to be carefully controlled, as we've seen with tobacco and and and, uh, and with alcohol, although we've not yet achieved a sensible uh, pattern with alcohol, and alcohol, of cause, causes far more deaths than any of the... Uh, so-called illicit drugs and uh, we really need to look at the way in which we handle the abuse of drugs which uh, affect the brain and and that's a matter of, of dealing with it at a community level as a public health issue mm. and uh, Portugal is I think doing that rather better than most other countries because they've, they've not handled it through the the legal side of things at all, it's all handled through through the health organisations at a local community level, dealing with problems of addiction. Mm. It doesn't matter if people take these drugs if, as long as they're taking small amounts, but if they become addicted, then there's a problem. Mm. But then
0: the problem is not solved by locking them up, it's solved by talking to
2: them. That's right, case management. An individual case by a group that is locally based in the community that uh, requires there to be some legal understanding, but nonetheless medical, important healthcare and society uh, expertise in handling these, with some powers to require people to go for treatment if they if they're not uh, willing to, and things of that kind. Do do you see? What do you
0: see as the f- future for uh, Australian drug law in the, in the, in the short term, maybe the, uh, the long term as well? Do you think that things are changing? Is there, is there a, something in the air that is moving towards decriminalisation? Well,
2: I think there is increasing understanding within the police force that they cannot solve these problems just by locking people up. Uh, and although that is an increasing understanding, we still have a huge number of, of people arrested simply for possession and use of cannabis. Uh, there's something a, like... Eight per day in Victoria. 20,000 a year uh, in New South Wales and, and Victoria. Mm. And it's crazy. But in fact, uh, the present concern about uh, uh, ice amphetamine and the uh, special task force that's been appointed by the Prime Minister to look into it, led by a former uh, chief of police from Victoria. That chief of police from Victoria just last week made the comment as they were preparing their, their interim report to the Prime Minister that, in fact, the reality is that it cannot be solved just by by arresting and locking people up. The jails are just getting too full and achieves nothing anyway as people come out of the jails, no, no different. Uh, in fact, they continue to take drugs in, in the jails, as we know, for a fact. Uh, when in, During my first inquiry, we talked with people who'd been in prison, and they said, oh, well, of course, they were, went to prison because they'd doing, done a bit of shoplifting to pay for their heroin, and when they came out, they already knew about how, how to crack a safe. Mm. So (laughs) trading grounds that's right, so it doesn't achieve anything Uh, and the police beginning to understand this and the leader of this national ice methamphetamine task force has said it has to be handled at the community level uh, in local communities and that's what I've been saying for several years that we've got to look and that's what Portugal does at the local community level, outside the law enforcement although the local community policing could be well part of it because they, they can in fact understand the issues and, and deal with situations where there is social unrest and silly things and uh, uh, evidence of harm being caused mm. by the drugs these people need to be handled in a different manner from, from just being seen as, as to be sent to prison.
0: Professor David Pennington, thank you for joining me on 3CR today. It's a pleasure. It's Nick Wallace here. In psychedelia, 3cr.org.au, streaming live and uh, 855 a.m. Uh, nearly finished uh, for this week, but um, before we finish, Ash is back in the studio and also another In psychedelia contributor and drug law reformer, Greg Kaye, who was on uh, last week. Um, guys, uh, we've got a couple of, uh, couple of minutes. Is there anything that you wanted to touch on before? Yeah, look, we I think
5: I'd just like to uh, just talk briefly about uh, MDMA. And it's great that um, you know, 2014 um, Victorian of the Year. Uh, is actually on board with this because <laughs> uh, it, uh, it just shows just how strong the case is and just how reputable, uh, you know, it's not nut job kind of uh, stuff that we're talking. It's pretty basic logic. But if you look at MDMA, I mean, that was made illegal in the early um, 1980s. Uh, when it was made illegal, it was done so against the wishes of the American Medical Association. It had been used quite successfully in couples therapy and a number of other things. Uh, and in terms of its actual effects, you know, if again, compare it to alcohol, you got a drug that causes violence, and you got one that causes uh, love, happiness, and compassion, but which is legal.
0: Mm, exactly. And that was, um, that was the point that um, Professor Pennington was um, focusing on, on, yeah. on a lot in that, um, in, it's, in that last it's, interview. It's
1: not rocket science, just common sense. Absolutely. It, uh, it wasn't just the Australian Medical, uh, the American Medical Association, it was also against the advice of the own. Uh, The Drug Enforcement Agency, they had suggested it Mm. be listed, I think, as a Schedule 3, which was with known medical applications and... Against their own uh, drug enforcement agency, yeah. they scheduled it as now, a Schedule course, One drug. We mm-hmm. know it
5: now does have medical application. Uh, Rick Doblin, who's uh, who's someone I know in who's uh, in charge of Maps, Multi um, Altidis- Disciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies, has a lot of success with um, using it to treat PTSD. And uh, PTSD psych- assisted psychotherapy looks like a real breakthrough treatment for a lot of our veterans and uh, people are experiencing difficulty with um, you know significant. And trauma in their lives, and it's a real mess. Do get in touch with us in psychedelia.org
0: uh, or 3cr.org.au and follow the links to the inpsychedelia program page. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter and email us. Queering the Air is up next on 3CR 855 AM. You've been listening to a 3CR community radio podcast that was in Psychedelia For more, head to 3cr.org.au and follow the links to the Encyclopedia Program page.